Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning I um, I recognize um, I recognize how for granted I take the gathering of the body together. This morning, Lord, I recognize that not everybody gets to gather to sing praises together. I recognize that there are times when we're overly concerned with looking away, as Renee said, uh, coming across away, and we allow it to, to hinder our praise to you. And so, Lord, I want to thank you for exhorting us this morning. I want to thank you for reminding us this morning that we are in a privileged position to be able to worship you in this place. It is a gift from you that we get to gather, that we get to sing, that we get to sit under the word, that we get to see one another and greet one another with a holy kiss. It is only by your grace that we are able to do these things. And I pray that we would not take it for granted. The reality is, Lord, somebody didn't wake up this morning. The reality is, Lord, this morning someone lost a loved one. The reality is, Lord, we're ashamed of you on Monday and Tuesday. The reality is, Lord, we need an increase in the gift of faith. We need you to help us believe in the midst of our unbelief that your gospel is glorious, that your salvation is sure in the person of Christ. Because if, if we were to have transparent moments together, we would confess our doubts. We would confess our lack of understanding. And through confessing those things, we would be encouraged by our brothers and sisters. We would be able to lean on the faith of our brothers and sisters. And the truth is, many of us in this place right now need that. Whether we are afraid of coming off that way or not, the reality is we need our brothers and sisters to encourage us, to love on us, to pray for us. We didn't come up in here this morning to play church. We didn't come up in here this morning to put on a performance. We came to worship you, O King. We came to bow our knees to the living God, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who imputed his righteousness unto us and granted us salvation and freedom from sin. We came to sing praises to you this morning. We came to hear a word from you this morning. And so, Lord, may we decrease. May what people's eyes decrease. May people be small, that you may be enlarged, that you would be everything to us. Captivate us. Those whose hearts came in here cold, captivate them. Those whose hearts came in here with zeal and fire for your word, use that fire and let it spread amongst us that we would worship you.
with all of us that our life will be a living sacrifice unto you, Lord. Lord, be glorified. Be glorified in us. We thank you. We give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen. My people, my people, Pillar Church, good morning. My name's Kanan Parker. Uh, so glad that y'all are here this morning. Um, we're fresh off our membership Sunday when we welcomed in about 20 plus people as members here at Pillar Church. And that was an awesome time of extending the right hand of fellowship uh, to those people. Uh, but there's something happened in the midst of that. Um, I don't know if you guys saw my countenance change midway through. I'm good at acting, so maybe you didn't see it. But a sober moment hit me while, while we were doing that. A sober moment hit me of the weight and the responsibility that is now upon each and every one of us who have covenanted together to be members in this place at Pillar Church. And as I was shaking your hand one by one, it hit me that God will hold the elders of this place accountable for how they care for your soul. And I am one of the elders of this place. And it became not just a celebration, but a somber one, a, a sober one. You ever buy something? Can y'all hear me with that crackling? Is that bothering y'all? We good. Y'all ever buy something? And then when you bring it home, it hits that you just bought this thing and that you know I had to take care of it. Like you buy a house and everything is good until some, that first thing break. And then all of a sudden the reality hits. Oh, I done bought a house. You buy a car from one of these, you know, dealerships somewhere. And all of a sudden the alternator goes and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, I just, you have a baby. Right? It's all fun and games. You had a baby. You bring the baby home. First night's all. I didn't sleep. About night number three, you start you're sitting there and you're like, ooh, I got, I got a baby. And that the weight hits you. And that happened to me last week where it was fun. It was a celebration. It was great. Given the right hand of fellowship, it was amazing. But then all of a sudden I recognized, I realized, wait a minute, I am now held accountable by God for your care. And I want you to know that we take that very seriously. And so this morning, as a follow-up to preaching on the responsibilities and the benefits of church membership last week, I want to explain to you, in part, in summary, the, what it is that an elder is. What it is that an elder does. What is this thing we call pastor, and why does that matter for you? And I think, as we go through, this may be two or three parts. I got like 25 pages. Who knows? We might be here all day. We'll see what happens. I'll watch y'all's body language. Y'all think I'm playing. It's 25 pages. Hopefully by the end of that, you have a better understanding of what it is that an elder is, what it is that an elder does, the weight that an elder carries. And more than anything, you'll be encouraged to pray more for your elders. Encouraged to call them and just say, man, how are you doing? And my goal, my, my desire, is that you don't just call Pastor Eric, Pastor Derek, or myself your pastor, but that we have a relationship with you. We know you. And as a, a reciprocal way, you know us. Because there's a newsflash. I'm about to surprise y'all. Y'all ready? 
Pastors are sinners too. Pastors are sheep too. And pastors need prayer. So I want to lean that on you this morning. I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about while I was watching TV the other day, you ever watch Undercover Boss? You ever watch those shows like Caught on Camera, right, where people are doing stuff and they get caught on film and it's, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's like tragic. And I was watching Caught on Camera stuff. This is what I do when I'm not doing anything. I watch like Caught on Camera stuff, y'all know. And this one was babysitters watching children. And if you've seen any of those, you know, people think they have a trustworthy babysitter. But every now and again, somebody puts one of them cameras in their house just to kind of see, you know, how does the babysitter treat my child? And some of the stuff you saw was sickening. Babysitters were abusing the children. Have you seen that? Have you seen those? Babysitters are abusing the children. They're they're, they're, they're beating the child because they, they won't stop crying, as if beating the child makes the child stop crying. They're, they're, they're stuffing food in the child's mouth. They're neglecting the children. And as I was watching that, I started thinking about the church. How the very people who are ordained or, or, ca- or called on to care for you have sometimes abused you, have sometimes hurt you. And it's caused a skepticism in your heart toward any kind of authority. That's real. There are people that have come here who have experienced hurt at the hand of their shepherds and leaders. There are people here who have experienced hurt from those who were supposed to care for them, for those who were supposed to love them. And if that's you, I want to say I'm sorry to you. And I pray that the God of heaven and earth will bring healing to your mind, to your body, and to your soul, because that's tragic. That's hard. And it's an unfortunate reality. And it's caused us to think about leadership differently. When the word pastor comes up in your mind, what do you think of? What's the first thing? Don't say it out loud, please. What's the first thing you think of? when that word pastor crosses your ears. I asked a few people this. One person said shot caller. Another person said a professional Christian. Another person said the one who's responsible to do the work. Another person said that lazy dude who works only one day a week. I was mad at that one, bro. I ain't gonna lie, I was was mad. I was like, thank you for your answer, and I left. (laughs) Another person said, the one who we expect to have the answers to almost everything that our community is dealing with. Another person wrote, the one who's supposed to be available 24 hours a day, and then I added seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. What comes to mind when you think of the word pastor? By the way, all of those are false. There is no professional Christian There is no shot caller but Jesus. There is no one that's available for you 24 hours a day but Jesus. No one does all the work. 
See, back in the day, pastors were esteemed, kind of like doctors and lawyers are now, but the times have shifted, times have changed, where pastors are not, not anymore esteemed as they used to be. In fact, they're, they're more of a laughing stock than anything because there's so many individuals peddling false information and fleecing the very sheep they're called to love. And because of that, and they exist in this city and in cities abroad, because of that, it's almost a scary thing. It's, it's like you say it with trepidation that you're a pastor. Because then they're wondering, well, how much do you make a year? What do you drive? And it's all a result of someone being burned. It's a result of someone not representing the office well. I contend that the pastor is one of the most essential yet underappreciated offices in the world. The pastor is enlisted in service by the Father. He is empowered by the Spirit of God, and his job is to proclaim the message of the Son, Jesus Christ. And that has implications that are deep and wide. And this morning, we're going to take a look at what the Scriptures say about the office of elder and pastor. If you look in your cross-reference sheet, we're going to use it heavily today. Heavily. And you'll see it's very dense, because we're going to look at it. And we'll see how far we get this morning. If you're a note taker, I want to give you some words that you'll see in the scriptures that are synonyms for the term that we call pastor. There are three terms in the Bible that are used to describe the person or the people who are elders or pastors. I'm going to give you the word. I'm going to tell you the English version of it and then what it denotes because they each have a specific nuance to them. It kind of shifts. The role is multifaceted. The first word is presbyteros. If you want to take notes, I'll spell it for you. P-R-E-S-B-Y-T-E-R-O-U-S. Presbyteros in English is the word elder. Elder is, denotes someone who's spiritually mature. Someone who carries with them wisdom, weight, right? That, that's what that word elder denotes. That's the nuance of that term. There's another term. It's called poimen. P-O-I-M-E-N, poimen. That word is how it translated in our Bibles as pastor or shepherd. Shepherd is someone who cares for you. Not just wise, not just mature, but they come alongside. They hold your hand. They allow you to cry on their shoulder. They take care of you. That's what a shepherd does. That's where we get the word pastor. And then there's episkopos. E-P-I-S-K-O-P-O-S. That's where we get the word bishop, or in most translations, it's the word overseer. It's someone who has oversight over something, right? They're they're moving something in a particular direction. All three of these terms speak of one office, one person, one role, and you'll use them interchangeably depending on the context of the conversation. I'm not going to say I'm sitting with my episcopos as he counsels me. That's an overseer. I'm going to say I'm sitting with my elder. I'm sitting with my, my, my shepherd as he counsels me. And so they're used interchangeably in the text. In fact, in one passage, in 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2, all three are used in one verse, speaking of one individual, one, one person. So what is an elder? Elder is a title given to those who are responsible for the care and oversight of the local church. Look in your cross-reference sheet. It's the first reference there, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Each one of these passages are loaded. I'm going to spend a little time in each one of them, but they're loaded. Every passage is loaded. Acts 20, 28 in your cross-reference sheet. See what it says? This is Paul speaking to the elders who are overseeing the city of Ephesus. 
the church in the city of Ephesus. And he says these words. He says, be on guard. Let me ask you, what does be on guard denote? The potential for what? Danger. Right. The potential for slippage, the potential that something could go wrong. And so that kind of tells you part of the responsibility of an elder is to be on guard for whom? According to the text, be on guard for yourself. Why? Why? Because there's a lot of spiritual warfare that goes on in the life of a shepherd that most people don't know about. There's a lot of temptations that go on with, that people don't know about. And so Paul, knowing this, tells the elders in Ephesus to watch yourself, be on guard, but don't just watch yourself. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as an overseer. This is what I mean by the passage is loaded. It's telling you that we're to be on guard for ourselves and, and, and the flock. And then it says that the Holy Spirit appointed us, us as overseers. Over the flock. Says our job is to shepherd. And look at that word. He's appointed us as overseers, right? That's episkopos. To do what? To shepherd. That's poimen. He's called us to oversee and to care for his flock. And it's telling you without telling you that danger is imminent for the people of God. Whether it be your sin or sin from the outside coming in, that you always have to have your eyes open. That's a tiring life. But it's the church of God, which Christ purchased with his own blood. Look at first Peter in your cross reference sheet. The next one, first Peter, chapter five, verse two. Peter tells the elders to shepherd God's flock among you. Stop there. Y'all remember last week when I talked about how church membership is not explicitly stated in the New Testament. And the reason why it's not explicitly stated is because it's an assumed reality that they all live with. They have to be dependent upon one another in their context. But us, we got churches on every corner. And so the question is, which members, which people of God are the elders in that place responsible for? Am I responsible for the person who showed up once here and then goes down the street for the next seven months? How do, how do we know? Well, Peter tells us the flock of God among you. We're to care for the flock of God among us. Oversight includes loving and leading people who belong to that local church, as well as following the vision and direction of the local church as a whole. God's, God has tasked the elder to lead people where God wants them to be. That's our duty in a nutshell. A pastor, an elder, an overseer is to lead its members to wherever God wants them to go. Not where they want to go, not where we want them to go. It's where God desires them to be. And according to the text, he desires you to be mature and he desires holy proximity to his son, Jesus Christ. And so the job of an elder is to help you mature in your faith and then to get you as close as possible to the sun. Look at Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 15 in your cross reference sheet. This is Paul. The context is Paul is speaking about the gifts that he gives to his church. And Paul says that he who is Jesus he himself gave some to be apostles. Who are the apostles? We know them as the 12, right? And Paul, he gave us apostles. He gave some prophets. A prophet is someone who foretells God's truth, his word. They're proclaimers of the truth of God. He's given that to the church. 
He's also given the church evangelists, people who somehow, some way God blesses that when they speak with individuals who don't know or don't understand the gospel, they have a, a, a gift to make it plain, make it clear, make it palatable. And people come to faith through conversations with them. Evangelists. And then this last two words, which are really mean, it is really a hyphen. It's one word, pastor and teachers. It's really the pastor teacher because the part of the role of an elder is to teach and to shepherd. What is their duty? What is the job of the pastor teacher according to that text? Look at verse 12 in Ephesians chapter 4. Their job is to equip the saints. Our job is to equip you to do what? The work of the ministry. Now remember the individual who told me that the pastor's role is to do the work of the ministry. That is a falsehood. The pastor's role is to equip you so that you can do the work of the ministry. And how do we equip you? We're going to get to that a little bit later. But part of the equipping of you is to get you fluent enough to proclaim the gospel to those who don't know. Part of equipping you is teaching you the different roles, responsibilities that members have one to another and what it is that an elder does. And every Sunday, our desire, our aim, our goal is to equip you so that you can go and be a light. Let me tell you something. Invite evangelism is great. Invite people. Awesome. But how much better is it that we do the first word in the commission of Christ, which is to go and tell? But the, one of the main reasons why we don't go and tell one of the main reasons, I always list a few, is because we don't feel competent that we know. The fear of the unknown. What if I say something? What if I don't say it correctly? What if I get something out of order? What if I misspeak? There's a fear of not being equipped. Verse 12 says that our duty is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and our job is to what else? To build up the body of Christ. Until when? How do we know we've built up the body of Christ? Until we all reach unity of the faith. Now that's a lofty, right? Every member reaches the unity of faith. You know what that means? I got a job forever. Here's some work. Because we've bunch, we bunch of jacked up people, no? We got work to do. And, see that word and? In the knowledge of God's son. Growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's Fullness. This is what we want to do. We want to grow you into maturity to the measure in which Christ desires you to be. Here's why. Remember earlier when, when Paul told the Ephesian elders to be on guard? Paul's saying it here too. Look at verse 14. This is what he's telling these, these, these elders. He says, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. I know I've told you this before as a church, but you ought not be dependent upon me for your spiritual nourishment in full. You have a responsibility before God to nourish yourself with the word and to grow in knowledge and stature into the measure of Christ's fullness. Oh, as you grow, I can act like a trellis because you're starting to grow over there. And I'm like, nah, bro, let's get that straight right there. But your responsibility is to nurture and cultivate your relationship with Jesus that you may grow in him. And our job is to keep that mug aligned so that it's useful. A tree doesn't get, that tree that's too sparse doesn't give shade. And so we got to make sure that it's not sparse so it can do its job and provide shade. 
that we may not be tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. And you know what I see, especially in today's day and age, the church falls victim to believing anything the world tells it. How do I know? Because each one of those, those things I asked of those people were from professing Christians and members of local churches that have no idea, but they heard and they thought that because our culture has taught them that this is what a pastor is, rather than them seeing from the text what a pastor is and what a pastor does. You know what's funny? We're quick to jump on things because culture made it cool, or culture is leaning in a direction. I don't care what the culture says. If the scripture says it and the culture says it, praise God. But if the scripture says it and the culture doesn't, our duty is to ensure that you don't stray with the culture's leanings, but we lean you up against the trellis, which will hold you against the word of God. And that's when the beast start barks. That's when you, you got a problem with your, your elders and your leaders because their job, their responsibility is to hold you straight. And if you've covenanted together with us, then you have agreed to give us the benefit of the doubt that all we're trying to do is lead you toward the text. And if we can't show you from biblical principle as your final authority, the text will direct you. But we will call you out. If you are looking more like the world than you are a believer in Christ Jesus. It's easy. It's subtle. It's sneaky. We all have those moments when we do. We all have the moments when that, that eloquent homie on, on, on the news is talking and you're like, yeah, and then nothing he said biblical. But it sounded real good because it, 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 it played to my, to my passions. I'm passionate about culture. Me. I love culture, but I love culture redeemed by the blood. I don't like culture as the culture dictates. I love truth, but I hate the phrase your truth because your truth, you don't have the right to, to, to determine what's true. You can have perspective. This is my perspective. But truth is outside of us. It's an, object rea it's, a, it's an objective reality that exists. All we can do is observe it and understand that you don't have the full-orbed understanding of what all that happened in any given event. So don't call it your truth. Say, this is what I observed. This is my perspective on the... On the and it may be a lot of truth in it. But then we hear Oprah say, well, speak your truth. And then I hear the church even speak your truth. No, don't speak your truth. Give your perspective, but there's only one thing that's truth. If you've said that, I'm sorry. But that's what it is. You're being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. There are cults in our community that are winsome. They want to make you gravitate to them because you have a commonality with them, perhaps. Our job is to to get in the way of that, to show you that they're leading you astray. Verse 14 of Ephesians 4, it says, then we will no longer be little children, right? We want you to grow up into spiritual adulthood. We don't want you to be little children anymore because little children are tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Oh, those words, Paul's words, are in the, te the, the, the human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. I don't know if you've ever had the blessing of, in, of encountering one of the cults that live in our community, but they are trained to sway you. They're not trained to explore what the truth of the text is. They're trained to, because when you start asking questions, they go, no, 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 no. You, you ever have any of them people come up to you at your door and do that kind of stuff with you or anybody come up to you and tell you because you have a certain commonality with them culturally or racially? That they, and no, 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 ask questions. No, 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 ask questions. 
People ask questions, ask a lot of questions, because the truth can be scrutinized and still stand. And so you ask questions. And if it can't stand, it's not true. But their cleverness and they have techniques of deceit. But what's our duty? Verse 15. Look at verse 15, Ephesians 4, and you cross your machine. What's our, what's our duty? Speaking the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head. What's our duty? To speak that truth in love and have our body grow up into the head who is Christ. Paul said it again in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. He was speaking more generally here, but he said, We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Again, that's a lofty statement, he says, right? His duty, his aim is to, pre- to present everyone as mature in Christ. And he says, I love this in verse 29, the first three words, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Ooh, that's a sermon. Hold on. Yeah, y'all can expect that. The biblical, picture, the biblical picture of a pastor in the text is a shepherd who cares for his sheep. But understand that we're 21st century Americans, right? We don't know what a shepherd is or does. We don't truly appreciate it. You know, people who live on farms get it because they live on farms. But we live in Fort Worth, in Arlington, right? And we don't get it. So there's other analogies that can help you with this. Raising a toddler. Raising a toddler is a lot like shepherding a sheep. You nurture that toddler. You bathe that toddler. You feed that toddler. You protect that toddler. You guide that toddler with teachable moments, right? And then what do they do? They break stuff. They fight their siblings. They throw tantrums. They lie about you. That ever happened to y'all? Yes. Real quick, deviating. I just moved. I'm building an Ikea dresser. I got a hammer in my, in my hand. My daughter, my toddler, daddy, don't, don't hit me and cut me with that anymore, please. I was like, yo, what are you saying right now? You can't say that. I never hit you with anything. What are you talking about? I'm looking around like, yo, it's not true. It's not true. But they lie on you. Y'all parents understand. Y'all been lied on. They say certain things in public. You're like, Shh, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then they learn a special word. It's a two-letter word. It's their favorite word. No. Everything is no. You know what's crazy? It looks a lot like us with God. We break things that God has mended. Or we don't allow him, we don't allow the, the, the fixing of the thing to, 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 to reign supreme. You know what we do? We get a scar we get a, an issue, a trauma, and then we live in the trauma rather than living in the redemption that the trauma is now, uh, the, rather the redemption that Jesus has purchased for us. Now this scar is no longer a symbol of trauma. It's a symbol of hope because Christ has redeemed it. Even Jesus lives with scars. And then we fight with one another, right? We throw tantrums. We lie about one another. We disobey God and tell him no all the time. And yet what happens? When we come back to God, when the toddler comes back to us, what do we do? We take them. We hold them. We love them. We nurture them. We cherish them. Such is the reality of a parent. And guess what? Such is the reality of a shepherd too. 
because that's the same reality that pastors go through with their members and the people who attend their church. The office of pastor is not to be taken lightly as elders will be held accountable before God for the quality of care that we give to those under our watch. I have like four points I'm going to give y'all, not yet, hold on. But I want to read this to you, and I'm really reading it for me. Hebrews chapter 13 in your cross-reference sheet, verse 17. I'm reading this for me. I'm reading this for Eric. I'm reading this for Derek. And I'm reading this for any elder of a local church. And I'm reading this for you to hear it. The author of Hebrews tells the people of the church to obey your leaders and to submit it to them. Now, when you, let me give you a little Bible reading tip. Sometimes Paul and other authors have long sentences. And those are broken up in English with commas. But if you skip the, the, the information within the comma, you'll get to the point. And then you go back and read the information that's in the comma, and you'll have the warning or the exhortation within the point. And so let's practice that real quick. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, comma. Skip that to the next comma. It says, so, right, obey them, submit to them. Why? So that they can do this, what is that, leading you, with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you, right? But what's the warning within the exhortation or the command? What's in the comma? Since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Y'all know elders live with that reality every day, and that's weighty. James 3.1 says, not many should become teachers, my brothers. Because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. I know that one day I will stand before the God of heaven and earth. And all those who have covenanted with us here at Pillar Church, I will have to give an account for how I cared for your soul. I, don't, I can't save you. And I'm off the hook for that. But how did I shepherd you? How did I lead you? I will give an account. And the questions will be asked, did I lead you to Jesus or did I lead you to me? Did I lead you to an area of the city or did I lead you closer in proximity to the Son of God? Did I lead you to idolatry of some form of worship that we do here? Or did I lead you to spiritual maturity? Eric, you will give an account for these people. Derek, you will give an account for these people. And so the question must be asked, what does it look like to lead people to maturity in proximity to Jesus? The first thing is that an elder is to devote himself to prayer. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 4. I'm only going to do this point. I'm not going to do the rest of this, this week. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 4. This is the, the context of this verse. Let me read it and then I'll give you the context. Acts 6, 4 says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer. Stop there. I just want you to see half of it because uh, Peter gives two. The context here is that the early church is having food distributions to the widows of the church. Yet there's a beef going on in the church because the Hellenistic widows, which are the widows who are converted, who are probably Greek in, in culture, that are converted to Christianity, feel like they're being overlooked by the Hebraic widows or the, the Hebrew widows or the Jewish widows. They're saying they're getting the distribution and they're getting it on time and we're getting overlooked. And they brought the complaint to the elders. And so the elders, 
decide that they're gonna, 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 gonna remedy the situation by bringing the church together. And they decided together that they were gonna establish 12 men whose role was to serve in the bodily needs of the people of the church. And so they summoned 12 men to serve and give the distributions so that the elders could do what only the elders could do. And there were two things that Paul, uh, Peter said in this verse. The first was to be devoted to prayer. Prayer is an integral aspect of any pastor's life, and it's the part that no one sees. None of you see the man hours that, that your pastors put on their knees praying for your soul. None of you see it because we don't do it for, for show. We don't do it for applause. Begging God to act on your behalf. The reason why we do it is we do it so that your faith may not fail. We spend time on our knees so that your faith may not fail. Where do I get that? I get that from the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 22. See it in your cross-reference sheet. Luke 22, verse 31 through 32. Jesus is talk, talk, talking to Simon. Simon is also Peter. Okay, same person. He says, Simon, Simon, look out. And I say the same to you. Look out. Why? Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. You know what's crazy about this passage? Jesus didn't tell Satan no. Peter was sifted like wheat. And I can beg God to spare you from whatever tragedies or traumas you're enduring or will endure. And he just may say no, but this is where the prayer takes its substance. He, he didn't tell him no. Verse 32, what did Jesus say? He says, but I prayed for you. And what did he pray for? For the sifting to end? No. For it not to come? No. He prayed for what? But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When you have turned back, Peter, strengthen your brothers. Among all the things that your pastors may be praying for you, the number one thing on their list is they're praying that your faith may not fail. Because the reality is that's the very target that the enemy has on your head, is to eliminate your faith in the king. They do it through, he does it through uh, making you think God is not good because of something called theodicy, which is the, basically the question, why does evil happen in the world? If God is good, then why evil? Right? And, and so what that leads people to is, well, I guess God's not good or God's not real. That in and of itself is a logical fallacy. We can go into that later. But we pray that your faith may not fail. Not only do we pray that your faith will not fail, before you think that that's not a big ministry, I wanna, I want to show you something. Y'all know Romans chapter eight and Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25, both teach that Jesus ever lives to make intercession and pray for you, which means Jesus has an eternal ministry of prayer on your behalf. What do you think he's praying? Probably the same thing he prayed for Peter, that your faith may not fail. Not only are the elders to devote themselves to prayer on behalf of the people, but look at the second half of Acts chapter 6, verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Part of our proclamation of the ministry of the word is to tell you about the goodness and grace of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who gave his life to redeem you from your sin. And he's the only one in which redemption can be had. So before we talk about the glories of what the gospel brings us through the teaching of the of the, of, the, of the elders to the church. 
I want to ask you guys to take a few moments to consider whether or not you have faith in the sacrifice of the Son, Jesus, on the cross for your sin. And I don't mean that rhetorically, I mean that actually. This isn't like a monologue where I sit up here and talk to y'all and y'all just listen and nice and go home. Consider your faith now. And as you consider your faith now, I want to practice with you what us elders do behind closed doors. I'm going to pray for your faith. And then we're going to end our service. As you consider your faith, think about these things. What causes me to wander? What does the fruit of my mouth proclaim more than Jesus? What kinds of questions cause me to have disbelief in God's goodness? Do I even truly believe in you, Jesus? Why did you let that happen to me when I was a little boy or a little girl? Why did you allow my loved one to endure this terminal disease the way they did and die? Why am I still addicted to watching nudity on my computer and phone? Why can't I kick this alcohol thing? Why do I neglect the gathering of the saints anytime I find myself caught in sin? Father God, the reality is that all these people experience all these things. And many of them call themselves your people. And their faith flounders at the existence of these things. And the devil's trick is to cause us to never have a sober moment of thought. The devil's scheme is to cause us to be so busy that we never truly consider our faith until tragedy strikes. And when tragedy strikes and we're not close to you, it feels like our faith is on shaky ground. And so, Lord, I beg you, I beg you to gird the the faith of these saints. I ask you to strengthen them in the midst of their ignorance. They may not get answers from you, Lord, today or tomorrow. They may have to endure her the pain and the hardship for a little bit longer. 
but would you cause it to lead them to greater faith? They may not know exactly why they experienced what they experienced when they were a little boy or a little girl. But would you redeem the broken situation and strengthen their resolve and faith in you, knowing that you are a good father who loves and cares for his people, that this world is sick and that you sent your son to redeem a broken, sick people and that the gospel transforms souls. And so instead of them living in the trauma, they would see the gospel as a means of redemption for the trauma that no one would have to experience what they experience because you transform the soul. And would they become evangelists for the gospel so that people's Faith is grown that people will come to a knowledge, a saving one of our King and Lord Jesus. Lord, would you transform those things? Would you strengthen their faith as Satan attacks them? As their flesh takes hold of them? Remind them who you are and whose they are. And that they can trust you. Grab hold of these people, Lord. Against their will, grab hold of them. Let their faith not fail. Let their faith not only not fail, would it grow? Satan is asked to sift them like wheat. And he's busy at work. And Lord, I, I would ask, I do ask that you stop the sifting. But I ask that their faith would not fail. On the contrary, I pray that it has the same effect it had at the stoning of Stephen. That the Christians spread and brought the gospel to the regions around that area. Oh Lord, would you do it? Would you send these people home strengthened in their faith? Knowing that their elders are interceding for them daily. On their knees crying to you, Lord, keep them with you. Keep them strong. Don't let them slip through the cracks. Don't let the sifting drive them away. Don't let, the, don't let them get tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Teach, tell your, your under shepherds what to tell them, what to teach them, that they will be robust enough to withstand the winds and the waves. Lord, would you encourage these people, grow these people, strengthen these people, convict these people, and lead them closer to you, Lord Jesus. Only you are worthy. Only you can do it. Lord, I pray that they would have a sober moment of considering their faith, not just now, but later. We thank you for this time, Lord, and we give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen.